Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, hey, good morning again. Um, you've heard it already this morning, but Redeemer City's mission is to seek to renew our city through the gospel. And um, many years ago when Redeemer City was starting, one of my favorite stories about it was I was working at Starbucks part-time, and one of my coworkers caught wind that we were starting a church. And she said to me, she said, um, well, that's cool, but I'm not religious. And it was one of those moments where I was like, that's great. We're not playing this church for religious people. <laughs> and, and that really kind of captures the essence of why we exist. Consider this for a moment. We, if our mission is to seek to renew our seed through the gospel, it means that we don't exist for ourselves. It means we exist for the city. And that means that in order to do that, we want to be a people who are shaped by the gospel and who faithfully declare the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our workspaces, to our friends, to our families. And this is, in essence, why we're beginning this series for the book of Jonah, because in essence, if you want to know the sole purpose, it's summed up in the final verse. So here's the end cap. This is God speaking to Jonah. He says this, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? That's right. God cares about cattle. All right? We'll get into details in a moment here, but suffice it to say God is asking permission of Jonah basically this. Are you okay if I have love and compassion on this city? And he's not only saying it to Jonah. The reason why the book ends this way is he's asking it to the reader. In other words, I'll put it this way. The book of Jonah is here to give us new lenses to see our city. It is to see our city with the width and the breadth and the height of God's compassion towards them. But here's the interesting part. In order to get those lenses, we've got to grow in self-awareness of the lenses we currently are wearing. You know, it's interesting, um, the way that the book of Jonah creates self-awareness is through satire. Have you ever watched an SNL skit? Uh, satire, it, it, the, it's defined as this, it's the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. And guess what? For the people of God, the joke's on you. The joke's on me. I remember a number of years ago, I got a YouTube clip and it was, uh, it was kind of a video musical montage on, on being a dad. And I was a dad then, and I started to watch it, and um, I found myself just laughing out loud. 
And then I got halfway through and I realized I was laughing at myself. Because all of the characteristics, all of a sudden I begin to see, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. And that is really silly and that's really senseless. And in one way or another, Jonah, he's the character that represents kind of the silly and senselessness of what often typifies the people of God. In fact, it's interesting, at the end when this book was read in the congregation back in the synagogue, the tradition said this, that at the very end after it was read, the entire congregation would say, we are Jonah. In other words, it's to to suggest as we read this book that if you identify as a Christian, that we would understand in many ways we are just like Jonah. And yet, the beautiful part about this, from cover to cover, we see a God who is patiently working in reshaping people just like Jonah and just like us, and even using the foolishness for his purposes in the city. And that's, that's really the hope and prayer of this, this, this series, that over the next six weeks, God would reshape us, remold us, and enable us to grow, to have the compassion that God has for this city, so that we might actually more adequately, more generously, more fully see our mission fulfilled in the city, to see our city renewed by the gospel. So, three things this morning as we begin. We're going to see the instrument. We're going to see the offense. Then lastly, we're going to see the need. So let me pray and we'll get in. So Father, what we, what we do not know, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Well, first, the instrument. You know, one of the things, the themes throughout Scripture is simply this. When, when God calls people into relationship with him and all the privileges that that entails, he sends them out. When he calls you in, he sends you out. And we see this from cover to cover in the Scriptures. So, for example, after the kind of the radioactive fallout in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, in Genesis 12, God calls a man Abram. He calls a man, and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Doesn't sound wonderful? I'm going to make you famous. But then he says, in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, I am blessing you to be a blessing to the entire world. Or consider uh, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus, the risen Jesus, he says this, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. In other words, this new resurrection life and all of its privileges, it's not meant to simply stay here. It's, it's meant to be extended across the street and across the world. And so, as we begin Jonah, verse 1, through the first part of verse 2, look at what we see happen here. Now the word of the Lord 
came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go. Um, Jonah is an interesting guy. And in this first verse, we're actually introduced to a character that actually, if you know anything about him, it's actually a little bit questionable. Jonah's mentioned one other time in the Old Testament. Second Kings 14.25. It's during the reign of one of the most wicked kings, Jeroboam II. Here's, here's, what, we, here's what we read. <clears throat> he, speaking about King Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. And here's two reasons why it's questionable. First, Jonah's a prophet in the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was a kingdom that broke away from the southern kingdom, from the Davidic kingdom, and they were known for their unfaithfulness to God. In fact, right before this verse, it said that this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, he's a prophet in a place where people are not worshiping God, where they're being unfaithful, where they say they worship him, but with their lives it's not matching. And what's interesting is, is that in the midst of this, oddly, he receives a word from the Lord, and the word is this, that King Jeroboam's going to extend the borders. In other words, that means greater prosperity for the northern kingdom. That means greater security. That means they don't have to worry about their neighbors coming in and ransacking them. Actually, they're going to be secure with their borders. And it happened. The word came true. And this is odd. Consider this for a moment. These people in the northern kingdom, although they're being unfaithful to God, they're actually blessed with some level of success and prosperity. And Jonah's a prophet who gives the word, and it happens. I'll put it this way. Later on, there's another prophet named Amos, and he's from the southern kingdom, but he goes to the northern kingdom, and he says a word that, that's, that basically is going to reverse the gains of what just happened. He says, actually, you're going to lose these lands. So to put it in more contemporary terms, Jonah He's a bit of an anti-hero. He's questionable. And yet, notice what happens here. Even though he's an anti-hero, even though he's questionable, he receives a word from the Lord to go. And this is what's helpful about this. Here's what we learn about God and his instrument for his purposes for compassion. God uses normal, ordinary people who are very flawed. Do you hear that? God calls normal, ordinary people who are flawed. And that protects you and I from at least two things. One, some of you might think this. You might think this, of course God has called me to be an instrument in this city, to, to display his compassion and love. I've got my stuff together. It's everyone out there that needs what I have. You see, as we even enter in here, Jonah should humble us. 
Because we'll see, as he's sent, he is very much a work in progress. He has much to learn about God's compassion, much to learn about the God that he says he knows. And yet, God doesn't just hold back and say, don't go till I get you ready. He actually still sends us. But the other part, too, that should encourage some of us is, some of you this morning would say, I'm not sure I should go. (laughs) Um, If you look at my life, maybe even this last week, and you knew what it looked like. I know who I'm called to be, and yet there's a big gap between who I am and where that is. In other words, God, you should probably send somebody else. And yet here's the reality. As you look through Scripture, just thumb through, is there anyone in Scripture who God uses that isn't flawed? There's one, by the way. (laughs) There's a reason for that. So, Jonah has a lot to learn, as we do as well. But it's actually in the midst of going that Jonah learns. Or to put it another way, one of the things you learn from cover to cover in the Scripture is that God loves to use weak people. That's who he equips Those are his instruments. But secondly, there's an offense. Look at all of verse 2 with me. Here's the mission. God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You know, there's actually two ways you could be offended here this morning. Uh, maybe not to get too, this isn't political, but I'd say that on the one end, I think this passage offends liberals. The other side, I think this passage offends more conservative people. So, put it this way. Notice how Jonah's call to go and call out against the people because their evil has come up before God. And listen, if you've grown up in Madison, you might say something like this. This is the problem with the world. People who think they're right, that they have the truth, and they go out and they tell other people that what they're doing is wrong. There's a lot of people who would say, that's, that's the source of a lot of problems in this world. And you know what? There's some truth to that. There is some truth to that. But let me say a couple thoughts, if that's where you are this morning. First of all, we all do this. No matter who you are, there are certain things that you believe are wrong. We all have an ethic. We all have a morality. You know, we see it on, a, on the lawns in Madison. We see it in the newspapers. You know, recently I was looking at one of my news apps, and it was an article about something happening over in a different culture, in a different part of the world, and the role that women played in that culture. And it was bemoaning the lack of freedom that they had versus what we have here. And again, I'm not saying that any of what they said was necessarily wrong, but I'm trying to say that is a very Western way of looking at the world. Now, so in other words, if you're offended by what the text says here about God looking down and evaluating and some things are evil, recognize that we all do it. 
But secondly, notice this. This is a second offense. God says, go to Nineveh. Now, that may not mean much to you, but Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And they were well known for their wickedness, for their oppression, for their injustice, and for their evil. And here's why it's offensive. Because as Jonah is sent out to preach against it, the reason why, as we'll see the rest of the book, is that they might turn from their ways and return to God. In other words, God wants to forgive them. This God is actually going to pursue them in the midst of their evil. It's incredibly offensive to Jonah because 30 or 40 years after the book of Jonah, Nineveh, the Assyrians, would come in and actually destroy the entire northern kingdom, take them into exile. In other words, these are the very enemies of Jonah. And so don't you see how this God offends both conservative people and liberal people? Don't you see how robust things are here? On the one hand, he calls evil, evil. And yet on the other hand, he's so compassionate that even those who we might think are the worst of the worst, he is actually sending someone so that they might return to him. So let me just put it this way. Um, And let me encourage you over this series. You know, the book of Jonah, it's 47 verses. It takes 10 minutes to read. Let me challenge you every week. Maybe it's on the way into work. You listen to it audio. Maybe you have some moments in your day over lunch. Read it once a week. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be offended. It's got to offend you. That's what it did for Jonah. And that leads us to the last thing, the need. Look at, look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to, jo- to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Um, you, you, you caught this, but Jonah actually, you know, Joppa's this way, and Jonah goes that way. It's the complete opposite direction. In fact, Nineveh's about 725 miles that way. Where he's going is about 3,000 miles that way. It's the other end of the Mediterranean. And we need to consider for a moment, like, what's going on in Jonah's heart? Because the average reader, as they open the book, they would have expected Jonah to say, after he received the word of the Lord, to then obey. But he goes the entirely opposite direction. So why? So just a little bit of a spoiler alert. We have to fast forward for a moment in the book of Jonah to understand why. But just so you know, again, this is a spoiler. Uh, Jonah preaches in the city, and everybody repents, including the cattle, okay? Everybody returns. But this is what Jonah says in chapter 4 about why he didn't want to get in the ship to go to Joppa. He says this, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Friends, the reason Jonah runs is because of his compassion. He did not want those no-good Ninevites to be welcomed back to his God. And here's why. Jonah, as we'll see, he's self-righteous. And we need to pause for a moment, and we'll do more of this later on in the series, but we need to look in the mirror for a moment at Jonah. You know, um, Tim Keller makes this point that all of us, no matter who we are, religious or non-religious, we build our sense of value on one thing or another, and we use it in comparison to others. That's, in quote, our righteousness. So let me give you an example for Jonah. One of the reasons why Jonah felt superior to the Ninevites is because of his race. It's racism. Another reason was because Nineveh, like we said earlier, is a part of Assyria. It's a different nation. He had a very much a nationalistic approach and view to his world. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Another was religious. Jonah, I, Jonah would say, I, I worship the one true God. Ninevites, they worship a false god. And therefore, Jonah was basically saying this, I have a monopoly on God because of my race, because of my nation, and because of my religion. Perhaps you can see some of yourself in Jonah here. Maybe not, <clears throat> but you don't have to be just that. Think about it this way. In Madison, you might be a very tolerant person, right? Tolerance. And you're tolerant of everybody, except, of course, people who aren't tolerant, right? Or maybe you're just engaged in social justice issues, and you build your identity there, your significance there, and therefore those who are not engaged in those you look down on. Or how about this? You build your sense of righteousness on your political affiliation. You're the good guys. Everybody else is the bad guys. You have a sense of superiority there. Or perhaps it's your income. Maybe it's because you make more or maybe it's because you make less. But either way, it's an us versus them mentality. You see, here's the point in Jonah. Here, we're all Jonah. We're all there at one point. And you see what happens when you build your significance, your identity, your sense of righteousness in anything here? What does it, what does it do? Two times it says Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. This is incredible. Think about this for a moment. This is a great definition of sin without actually using the term. Think about what it says. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord means here's a God who is meant to be in relationship with you. I mean, I sat across yesterday from my wife for an hour and a half over coffee in her presence, and I never fled. It was wonderful. It's a great relationship. 
Do you understand? There's something about that that says something about how you were made and what you were made for, for the very presence of God, a relationship like that. And yet, when we build our identity somewhere else, we actually run from his presence. And it's interesting in this passage, two more times, it just says, Jonah went down and down and down. And it's the, it's the literary technique of saying Jonah is getting closer and closer to death as he runs away from the presence of the Lord. So here's where our text ends today. Consider for a moment. Everyone in this passage is running from God. The Ninevites, who don't know God, they don't know their right from their left, they're not with God. And here's Jonah, who's received a word. He's running from God. All of them are in a self-destructive pattern of sin that if there is no intervention, there is no hope. And here's what this means. It means this. The only hope for the world, the only hope for the city, the only hope for people like Jonah is if God intervenes in compassion and rescues them. They're all going the wrong direction. There's no way, there's no way they find their way back to God. And friends, the beautiful thing about Jonah is it's actually the Bible in a mini book. (laughs) That's the story of the world. There's no way you get back to God unless God intervenes with his compassion. There's no way. And see, that's the point. The starting point, the starting point of being a community that seeks to renew our city through the gospel begins here. This is where it starts, and you don't move on from this. It starts with acknowledging that you and I, like Jonah, have run from God. And yet here's the good news. Years later, There was another one like Jonah, only better, much better. Jesus, the one who would be sent by the Father, and he would go. And he would pursue all those who fled from the presence of the Lord, and he would go all the way to the cross. In other words, remember, we were there a couple weeks ago, less than two weeks ago. Jesus on the cross, losing the presence of the Father. So that those who would come to him would be restored to the presence of the Father. And see, that's the point. If you and I are going to grow in compassion for those in our city, it's recognizing that you and I are actually in desperate need of compassion from this God. And he's actually given it. We've got one more story here, but let me invite the band to come up. And um, as we close here, you know, years ago, there was a, a pastor who was having another conversation with a barista. It wasn't me. Um, and the barista, you know, said, hey, how's it going? And the pastor said, these words. 
I'm doing better than I deserve. And the barista was really kind of caught off guard because, you know, um, she's not used to that kind of a response, right? And so she's tried to start to, like, butter him up, like, oh, I'm sure you're not that bad. I'm sure, you know, like, and, you know, kind of give him a self-esteem boost. And then this pastor went into the doctrine of sin as he's ordering his, I don't know, cold brew or whatever, right? But you don't understand, like, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. I'm under the, I'm, I'm an object of God's wrath because of what I have done in my rebellion against God. And of course, this barista is just like, oh my word, this is, I did not sign up for a systematic theology course or whatever and sin, but that's, but this is the essence. Redeemer City. When you consider that you are sent to the city, this is what it means. As soon as you walk out those doors today, all those you engage because of the hope of the gospel, because of God's compassion. That's the truth. You are doing better than you deserve. And it's all because of his compassion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we pray for your grace and your mercy and your help. Lord, help us not to dismiss the ways we see ourselves in Jonah. Lord, give us grace to repent of those ways in which we are much like him. And yet in the midst of that, Lord, give us a joy found in the compassion of your son, Jesus, and what he's done for us. And Lord, from that, would you give us help by your spirit to be a people who view this city, who live in the city with the grace and compassion that you have toward us and that you have towards them. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.